Romans chapter 13. We broke our streak. We had two weeks in a row of mic malfunction. So we've been working through Romans this year, and the first 11 chapters were basically about salvation. Basically, when I say, it wasn't basic at all, right? It was deep, and there's some deepness to it and depth to it, but it's about being saved and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we, we uh, I hope, this year have dove into that uh, in, in to a good degree. And then we began a couple weeks ago in chapter 12, and what begins these, these chapters of practical living, how to take that gospel that has changed your life and live it out in your daily life. And we... We now come to chapter 13, which to me is such an interesting section of Scripture, um, especially these fir- this first part of chapter 13. It almost feels, at first reading, like out of place. Like, why would he say this here? But as I begin to kind of dive into it, um, you're going to see that this passage, Romans 13, 1 through 7, is the most, I think the most clear passage of Scripture related to how a Christian should live um, as it relates to civil authority. And the connection I want to show you is in chapter 12, we talked about uh, in verses 1 and 2, our relationship to God. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, submit yourself to him as a living sacrifice. And we talked about how we should, if we're a Christian, then our relationship to God should be important to us. It should matter to us. And we should seek God through his word and through prayer. And then in verses 3 through 16 of chapter 12, um, we saw relationships to other believers and how the gospel, the truth of our salvation, should impact not only our relationship with God, but with others. Isn't that true? Do you believe that? Yeah, it's biblical, right? Um, We should treat our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ a certain way. We should treat our, our family and friends a certain way. Can I add a side note here? This is free right here. This is extra. But if we're a, if you're a Christian husband, and you treat your life, wife like garbage, then you need to change your ways or repent or both because we can't be Christian men and treat our spouses like trash. They should be treated like treasure. And that wasn't for anybody in this room, but maybe it was. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's for me. But all the people, not just our spouses, not just our children, but all believers, we're called in Romans 12 to treat people correctly. Now look at verses 17 through 21 of chapter 12, and we talked about, I mean, Paul even raised the stakes here. Not only your relationship to God, not only your relationship to each other, but your relationship to your enemies and people you disagree with. And he says in the end of chapter 12, let God have vengeance. You don't take vengeance. And there's a certain way we as believers treat non-believers. And so now we move to chapter 13, and I think it it applies this way to to the context He now says to us that we as Christians, born again by the grace of God, have a responsibility to live a certain way in response to the government under which we reside or live. And I hope I can flesh that out. Um, I was thinking about it this week. I don't know that I've heard this text preached, but very rarely in my life. Have you all heard it preached? Maybe some. I think I've only preached this text one other time in my entire life, but um, I hope we will gain something from it. So if you found Romans 13 verse 1, say word. It says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. 
for there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For this, for, for this cause, pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. In these verses, um, the, the, the clear, verse 1, the clear imperative, the clear command from the Apostle Paul to us is that every person, and he's speaking here to believers, that every Christian should be in subjection or in submission or understand the position of authority of the people in position over us. The word subject here, it comes a military word. I know there's some military folks in here and uh, used to be maybe or currently, and it means to be subject under your superior officer, right? And you understand that when you think of military terms, what that means to be under your superior officer. And so ca Paul calls us to recognize that we live in a place, and everybody does basically, that there is a system set up that is authority over us and it's given for good. Let me ask you this before we dive further into the text. Does God believe in an order of things? Did God set an order of things? He did, didn't he? Let me give you a few other places in Scripture where we're called to submit. Look at these texts I'm going to put up there. Age is going to put up there for you. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, for me, the, the last part of that text is the scary part. But as believers, we are to submit ourselves under the leadership of the Word of God and under our leaders. How about Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21? He says, submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ. As believers, we're to submit one to another. This speaks to that humility we talked about in chapter 12 and of us as believers putting others ahead of ourselves. How about Ephesians 5, 22? Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as to the Lord. I'll probably get some amens on that one. But, but meaning, of course, um, that the husband loves the wife as Christ loved the church, and the wife uh, submits as the church submits to, to Christ. In all these situations, I want you to look at those scriptures. In all these situations, one person or group of people is called to submit to something else or someone else, and that's the way God has established his order. But in every one of those situations, not one person is better than the other person. Does that make sense? The Hebrews 13, 7, the pastor is not better than the church member. We are equal, but God has given us different roles in the church. The same thing for the husband and wife. They are equal, 
but God has given them different roles to complement each other. I want to show you those scriptural examples because it brings us back to our text today that we understand that we are to, in a sense here, submit ourselves under the civil authorities, the law of our land, the governing authorities, and I think you agree with me here. For the most part, that works out. (laughs) For the most part, that works out, but there are rarer cases where a government might tell a group of Christians that they must do something or can't do something, right? And in that case, Christians must not break the word of God. They must abide by the word. But most of the time, I think when we, this plays out in our lives. Most of the time, what the th- in our country, what the things that have been set up are for our good. They're laws for our protection. They're for our, to keep us safe and all those types of things. But if you ever come into a situation, and we kind of almost did maybe last year, where the, the law tries to tell us to do things that are against God's word, we look at verses like Acts 4, 18 through 20, when Peter and, I'm, yeah, Peter and John are there before the council, and they called them in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Remember this story? They're like, Peter and John, you can't preach about Jesus anymore. And Peter and John said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So watch this. We are first and foremost submitted under the lordship of Jesus Christ, aren't we? But as a part of that submission, we submit to Christian leaders. We submit ourselves under the authority of one another as believers. And we submit ourselves under the authority of our government by which we we live. Look at verse 1 again, the last part of it. And this tells us why. why. Why why must we do this as Christians? Well, he says, there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Church, you might want to underline that phrase. You might want to remember that phrase. It is applicable to us. It reminds me of, I thought about uh, the Old Testament. I thought about uh, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel once said to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, 17, he said, the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. We all understand that in our country, people are chosen through elections, right? We have elections and we vote. Sometimes we like the outcome, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we trust the process, sometimes we don't. But what happens, happens. And the Bible is clear. Is God sovereign or is he not sovereign? He's sovereign, isn't he? That means, according to Romans 13.1, according to the book of Daniel, according to the truth of God's sovereignty, that God appoints a nation's leaders. And I think here's the misunderstanding that we have. Don't throw any golf balls at me or water bottles or ketchup or mustard bottles. But the misunderstanding I think we have is that we think God must provide a godly leader or a leader that we like because we expect that God must bless our nation. But is it possible that at times God might decide not to bless a nation but to judge a nation? It's not possible, it's not only probable, it's, it's happened, right? It happened to his own very people, Israel, didn't it? His own people. The first king they had was Saul. It might have started okay, but he was not a very key king. And God told uh, Samuel there, didn't he, in the Old Testament, let them have their king, we'll see what happens. <laughs> but God knew what was going to happen. God ordains. And so think, I want you to think about that because this takes us to a, 
a deeper understanding of God's sovereignty and how it applies to our everyday life to understand, even if we disagree with the leaders around us in our world, in our country, um, God has a plan for it. And I pray that God's plan is to bless, but there are times when God's plan is to judge, or at least to prepare for judgment. So what do we do? What do Christians do in that, in that situation? We pray that God would bless, but what do we do? As, as we live out the renewed mind of Romans 12, 2, and the godly life that he's called us to, we hold fast to the truth that God is providentially over all things. And God does all things with an ultimate purpose in mind. That truth, by the way, changed my life when I realized everything that has ever happened to me and that will ever happen to me, God has a purpose behind it. That means every struggle I go through, every sickness, every loss, every pain, I realize none of that was wasted. None of that was for nothing. But yet God can and does use those things. Understanding his sovereignty, even when it comes to the government and things in our country, is important. Look at these next texts. You say, well, maybe Paul was just off his rocker. Maybe somebody else, nobody else probably said the same thing. Well, look at 1 Peter 2. Do we have that one up there? 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. If you can see that, I apologize for the tiny writing. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Again, this is very parallel to what Paul is saying here. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Paul even went further in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He said, first of all, and you all have heard this before, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, we're to pray for people we don't like, right? We're to pray for even our enemies, that we might, as it says there, live a peaceful, quiet, godly life. Titus 3, 1 and 2. He said he remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak eagerly of, of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect court courtesy toward all people. And these truths are, these hit us in the everyday life, right? Are we living out the gospel by uh, applying these types of things to our lives and understanding where they come from? Well, let's, let's go to verse 2. I knew I would spend most of the time on verse 1. <laughs> let's go to verse 2. He says, but whoever resists the power resists, resists the ordinance of God. In other words, if you resist it, you're resisting those who God has appointed. So what does it mean to resist? It means to not acknowledge the authority of those above you. It means to resist or refuse to acknowledge that authority. I read this week as I was studying this about some Christians, and this has happened throughout history, groups of Christians who would hate their government so bad, they would just completely pull out from it. They would live in the land, but they would refuse to vote, refuse to pay taxes, refuse to really be a part of society. They would just kind of pull out and do their own thing. But that's not what Scripture tells us to do. That's not, they're trying to be separate and, and they're trying to be Christians, but that's not what the Bible calls us to. Notice the last phrase of verse 2. They that resist shall receive to themselves 
condemnation or damnation. What a, what a serious thing here. And, and there scholars kind of debate this. Some scholars say this simply refers to the fact that if we break the laws of the land, we will be punished by the laws of the land. Other people say this is actually the judgment of God, that you know, this is how serious God takes this, is that we will, by breaking his law, by breaking the law, we break his law, and therefore we'll be punished. So this is, uh, this is important, again, just to flesh out this morning as we talk about this. Um, you might be sitting here this morning and thinking, yeah, but you don't understand, like, I really don't like our government, <laughs> or I really don't like our leaders right now. You might be thinking that. Somebody is thinking that, and I get it. There are legitimate reasons to not like people who are in over you at times, in all settings. How many of you have ever had a boss you didn't like? Almost everybody. A teacher, almost everybody. You know, you've had people you didn't like. But regardless, the Bible tells us here to respect that authority, respect that position, and to pray for those in leadership. Regardless of how we feel, regardless of who's in charge, the truth is the truth regardless, isn't it? It's kind of hard. And one of our church members said this to me last week, and I've, I've kind of put this in our sermon here this morning, but you might think, man, I don't like our government. I don't like our leader at times. You might think that. Um, I was talking to someone yesterday who was, who was in the military, and they served back under a pr- president many years ago, and that he was like, I just couldn't stand that guy. <laughs> you know? And uh, he's like, I was in the military. I was happy to serve our country, but I just didn't like the, the, the commander-in-chief. I was like, yeah, but what's the scripture say about it, you know? But here's what was said to me last week about this text. As bad as you might think our leaders are at times, what do you think the leaders were like in Paul's day? Anybody know who the leader was in Paul's day? Nero. Really cool name. Can I tell you a little bit about this guy? About 20 years after Jesus had been crucified, Nero became the emperor of Rome. He became an emperor at a young age, and the things I've read said that he would, he basically killed his way to the top. Even having, he had to do with having his own wife and own mother killed. So he's already worse than any leader we've had in America in our entire history. <laughs> he was this, this kind of eccentric guy who, he like won, it, won some medals in the Olympic Games back in Greece in those days. He was a musician and just a kind of a flamboyant guy, I guess, but was an evil, evil person. He's the one that Paul went before in Acts and had to appeal in front of him. And he's the one that we believe had Paul beheaded and Simon Peter crucified. And Paul wrote these things with that type of leader. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? I was reading about Nero, and this is kind of graphic for any of the young ones in here, but Nero, there, there was a fire in like the 60s A.D., 60-something A.D., and he blamed it on the Christians and began this heavy persecution of Christians. And even so much that they would arrest some Christians and use them to turn on other Christians, and it's a bad, bad situation. And Nero would take some Christians and hang them up and set them on fire at night while he had dinner parties, and the Christians would be the light for the people having the dinner parties. So was this guy evil? And Paul, with that type of leader, who, by the way, had Paul in, in prison at times, Simon Peter, with that kind of leader, 
they wrote things like this and said, as Christians, we must be subject to the higher authorities. If they can say it, if they can do it, certainly we must apply this to our, our life as well. Do you think Paul really wanted to write these things? I don't know. I don't, I don't think it was Paul's idea. I really don't. I don't think he was like, you know what? I'm going to write some good things about the leadership here. <laughs> I don't think he agreed with Nero. I don't think he liked Nero probably. Probably prayed for him. Probably prayed for his salvation. But I do know this. The Holy Spirit wrote these words through Paul. And God spoke through Paul and to his people and to us. And The point is clear. And I think this is a slide up there. Our next slide on the screen there. But Christians are to be good people and good citizens regardless of the character of their leaders. you agree with that statement? As Christians, are we to be good citizens regardless of the character of our leaders? So this is why as Christians, I'm going to go on a soapbox, here we go. As a Christian, no matter who gets voted into office or no matter what happens, none of us are going to ride in stores or stand in the middle of highways because our goal as Christians is to be good citizens, not to, not to win things, not to spend a life of protest. Our, our main goal should be to please God, period. And part of that pleasing God in the Scripture is to submit to leadership. Well, let's move on to verses 3 and 4. These verses go together, and... Again, similar things as, as we've already been discussing, but it, they talk about God putting rulers in place to maintain order. And we know good rulers, you know, good leaders uh, reward good and punish evil. And we know that hasn't always happened. Again, with Nero and, and, and Paul, it doesn't always happen the way we like. But there's this part of verse 3 I like a lot. Look at verse 3. Look at the question in the middle of verse 3. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? How many of you grew up with a healthy fear of your father? Because you knew, right? I see some hands. You knew whether it was a paddle or a belt or water hose or whatever it might be. <laughs> if, you just, if you stepped out of line, he was going to straighten you back up. My dad did not beat me with a water hose. I'll just leave that out there. I don't know. But, but you had that healthy respect of fathers. Most Many of us grew up that way. How about this? I remember being in school. And I was never scared of the teachers, but I remember being in elementary school. If the principal came by, we straightened up, right? Did y'all do that? Like, and I, looking back, I'm like, why? Would we do? But we respected that authority, didn't we? I had a, a lady principal who wasn't really mean or scary, but her position commanded that little bit of fear. I have that fear in me about uh, those kind of things. How about a coach? You had a coach that you feared because he could reward you or punish you, or a boss that you had a little fear because he could punish you or reward you. I, this is the this is the fear I have. It's kind of funny too. Like I really respect law enforcement, and I appreciate the folks in our church, other people that are in law enforcement. And the other day, it was a Wednesday night, about two or three months ago. I was driving home from church, uh, and I see a roadblock up ahead. I'm like, oh great, roadblock. So I start getting my license out, and, and I've done nothing wrong. I'm just riding down the road. I got my license. I got my insurance card. I, I've done nothing wrong, but still in me, there's like this little bit of like. Almost fear, right? Like, man, but th nothing's going to happen. I pull up, I pull the window down. It's a good buddy of mine who's a state trooper who is, I actually led him to the Lord, preaching in the book of Romans, by the way, years ago. And he's cutting up jokes like, well, here we, got, we got one here tonight, boys. You know, like, 
you know, to arrest me or something. And I know the guy. He's a young guy, younger than me, I know. I, and I still had this, like, fear of, like, him and his position as a law enforcement officer. I think that's a good thing. I think Christians should have that respect for order and respect for, for law. And I know that, that we do. Um, but as, as I continue here in this verse, in verse 4, um, he talks about the, the leader, the ruler of the land being uh, a minister of God for good. And again, we know that's not always the case. But um, the idea here is he says there that he beareth not the sword in vain. This is talking about very specifically in their time, you know, you know executing, executing people and, um, and talking about the wrath that's done. And it's, it's hard for us to understand, I think, how a wicked ruler can be used for good. We understand how a good ruler can be used for good, but how can a wicked ruler be used for good? And, and our next quote here on the screen is something we need to remember. I said it earlier already, but our next quote is, sometimes God uses evil men or governments to accomplish his purposes. Sometimes God uses evil men or governments to accomplish his purposes. Can you think of any in the Bible? You can think of Pharaoh. God hardened his heart that he might display his power i think it's important for us to say this that people in authority are also responsible for their actions aren't they people in authority are responsible for their actions but as far as we go as believers we're to try to do what's right and what's good paul's idea and i really believe this paul's idea is that christians should be the best citizens of all i think it's true that christians should be the best citizens of all and even though we're loyal to god number one we are also to be loyal to our our state our our government we're to pay our taxes and cause no trouble and just live christ honoring kind uplifting helpful lives to those around us verse five he summarizes all that we've said when he says wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath but also for conscience sake what I think this means is when he talks about being subject for conscience sake is just knowing in your heart it's the right thing to do. Knowing in us and having a clear conscience that it's the right thing to do. It's a part of obeying God's word, following his will, and being men and women of humility. Submitting one to another in any situation is a part of showing humility. Paul, the Apostle Paul, obeyed the laws the best he could of his day. Did he stop preaching the gospel? No. Did he stop living for Christ? No. But as best he could, he was a good citizen. Verses 6 and 7. And these last two verses really just, um, I guess, give an illustration here. And so he's talking about just paying taxes, paying your tribute, and rendering unto them what's due. Does that remind you of something Jesus said? Didn't Jesus say that? Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Remember that? They tried to come and catch Jesus. They're going to try to, you know, get him saying something wrong in Matthew 22. And the Pharisees come up to him, and, and he said, hey, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. The point being, you can honor the requirements of the government without embracing all that it stands for at times and remembering that ultimately we are God's. So let me move to my conclusion. In light of these scriptures, and I went through those last few verses quickly, but um, in light of these scriptures, is absolute rebellion against the government 
a justifiable offense for a Christian? I don't think so. Go home and think about that. Should Christians be involved with rebellions against their own government? There's, there's some deep, some depth there. I will say this, though. If a citizen, like us, has a choice between two governments and we can help pray for and promote one that's more legitimate or more legitimately follows scriptural preferences or, or principles, then we certainly should pray for that and promote that. But ultimately, we do not know God's purposes. Ultimately, God might bring about leaders in our lives, in our country, that do not lead us to prosperity and blessing. But by his plan, he might decide to be setting up some type of judgment for his people. I'm not saying that's the case. I don't know. I'm not a prophet. But I'm just saying the truth is there that God is in control. The truth is there that God is sovereign. I want to share this with you too as well and this this is the thing i said that could get me fired from some churches um if i said this in some churches i might get kicked out and so far none of that has been the, the point the point but i want to say this because i think this applies here and i just want to make sure i give this to y'all when we come across it in church but um i am proud to live in america are you like i'm happy i was born in this country and sometimes i wonder like man who knows what would have happened if I was, you know, you realize if you were born in many parts of this world, you would grow up and never hear about Jesus? How would you be saved? You wouldn't be. And so uh, it's a blessing just to be born in a place that has the Bible and, and the gospel. And I'm, I'm happy to, to live here and I consider us blessed. I support our country. I stand for the National Anthem and the Pledge of Allegiance. I sing Lee Greenwood songs. Um, during the COVID, I wore American flag mask. That was my mask for most of the time. Um, I agree with uh, the philosopher Creed Bratton, who once said, he said, I already won the lottery. I was born in the USFA, baby. I, I agree with him. I'm patriotic. I'm thankful for the people in this room who've served and served in military, and, and that's amazing. I have so much respect for those people and their families. But let me say this. We can be Christians and be patriotic. And here comes my line. You ready? But our, our faith better trump our patriotism it has to as a christian that probably wasn't a good word was it our faith is more important than our patriotism i don't think that should even be a question but what i've seen in church in my life is that that is a question and yeah many of us are guilty of it I was at church one time, and I was worship leader, and it was like pulling teeth to get people excited to sing songs. Everybody's just kind of like bored, and nobody wants to sing. And there was one day, it was like a, it was one of those patriotic holidays, and a lady came and sang a special, and she sang God Bless America. And it was awesome. I mean, she sang awesome. She hit the high notes. The windows started shattering in the back. And this is an amazing lady, by the way, that sang this. I, I love this lady. And... At the end of the song, the entire church jumped up with like this <laughs> clapping. And, uh, and, me and, Jason were, and me and my wife were the only two in the church not standing. I was, I was freaked out. I was like, what just happened? What just happened in here? Because usually it's just like everybody's dead, just sitting there quietly. And it really hit me that day because we kind of stood up like, because we were just following the herd. But what just happened? And it hit me, wow, 
People will stand and clap for America, but not for Jesus. People will cry over a song like that or over something about our country, but they won't cry over Amazing Grace. Or they won't cry over lost souls. And I want to just, I hope, I hope I can, I have so many other stories, I don't have time to share them all. The one Sunday when it was a patriotic holiday, and if y'all hadn't guessed it in the past two years, I don't really like singing patriotic songs in here. I don't mind them, but I think this is a place for worship of God, and I don't mind singing them outside there or somewhere else, but so we just don't do that. But one Sunday, I led the worship. I was doing this whole deal, you know, leading the songs, leading all the hymns. I finished. I went and stood down, and a man in the church stood up and said, we're not going to do any patriotic songs today. I was like, no, sir. And... Uh, I'll tell you what, he said, I'm going to lead one myself. I said, have at it. So he came to the front, got a song, started leading the song, and it was an awkward moment. But, but here's the reason I, I did that that day, and why I still feel this way, is we're in danger of being more patriotic than Christian. And that shouldn't be. Again, I hope you heard what I said. I love our country. In the Olympics, I'm watching everything. I'm cheering for us and curling and everything. You know, I'm, I'm, I love our country. Our country is a gift, but it is not our glory. It's a gift, but it's not our glory. Look at this last verse. Paul wrote and said, our citizenship is in heaven. We need to remind ourselves of that. Yes, we're citizens here. Yes, we're called to obey the laws and pray for our leaders and respect the authorities. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our ultimate, I hate to say the word president, but leader, ruler, supreme, king. It is Jesus. And we, if we are going to call ourselves Christians, we better be bending the knee to him first than to anyone else second. We better be surrendered to him. Two applications. If you've heard this sermon and you see this verse here and you realize, man, I don't know. I don't know if Jesus is my Savior. I don't know that I have confessed Him as Lord and repented of my sin. If you're hearing this sermon and you find yourself in a helpless, lost state, you have one hope, right? Turn to Jesus Christ. Become a citizen of heaven by trusting in Christ. The second application is for us who are Christians, and this is my heart for all of us here today. Let's be good citizens. And let's treat all people with respect and honor, with prayer, as we continue to be a light for Christ and a good citizen of Christ.